Well, the Romans were successful religious freedom. You know, they didn't care. You could practice whatever you want as long as you're part of the empire. So, you know, Amorami's code, <laughs> persons were all about it. No, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, as long as you're bad to the emperor. This is Crossing Phase, the podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts for this adventure are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Pinna, former director of government and international relations for the American Islamic Congress. Show notes, bios, and all our social media links are available at crossingphase.com. Hopefully you're listening to us on one of the following channels, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or TuneIn if you like the show or want to challenge and critique the show. We encourage you to leave a review in any of those spots. You can also listen at crossingphase.com at any time. Special guest today that we're going to get to, we're going to talk a little bit about religious freedom, prayer in schools, including the U.S. and Japan. And I think we'll even mix some Afghanistan insights into this conversation. John Pinna, my co-host, as always, you saw an article recently that had to do with school prayer and a research article about U.S. and Japan, kind of a, a comparative lesson. Uh, what sparked your interest in this subject matter? I mean, first of all, if, yeah, I, as I love Japan. Let's just start with everything that that, that is Japan. That's wonderful, right? So, <laughs> I, so have not, I have not been. I need to go sometime. I would love to. It's you know I always toy with retiring in Japan. Nice. So that as as because I love the food, I love the culture, I love the whole idea, the super trains. Um, you know, I'm a lot of people are Sun Tzu guys. I'm not a Sun Tzu guy. I'm mm-hmm. a Five Rings guy, which is <laughs> their version of the art of war. So it's about the samurai guy, this swordsman who who goes comes up with rules rules of conduct. Uh-huh. And and then they their their the origins of their of their culture is is the bushido. You know, this warrior culture, the idea of the the shogunite. So I think there's very close parallels between Afghans and 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 the Japanese. Um, you know, the the so I. I that's what sparked this is yeah. that uh, one is there's this idea of I'm always about contextualization. So I'm not so much on the school prayer component of this, but the idea there's a, a, a sentence here says this study particularly addresses the role uh, uh, cultural differences play in unequal interpretations of religious freedom within different national backgrounds uh-huh. using a comparative case study analysis, which I'm not sure I'm smart enough to know what that is. I argue <laughs> you're just throwing these, big words, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I like saying asynchronous. That, you know, I'm not bound by time and space, but I'm not really sure what that means. I, it's a, so I argue that these cultural differences directly impact the varying perspectives of religious uh-huh. freedom as applied to policy, law, practices, and across across the countries. I, I've always said, said that history, as a history major, it allows me to put people in situations into the context. Uh-huh. Uh, the fight that I have in religious freedom is that the West thinks that they invented religious freedom and mm-hmm. then wanders, walks into a country that has thousands of years of, experience, uh, of history yeah. and then says, We're gonna, you guys don't practice religious freedom. And then when they find out they do, like in Japan or Afghanistan, they say, well, those are informal systems. Right. So what they do is they, they make them subordinate to this larger whole. And the, the, the connectivity that you have between Japan's constitution being made by the U.S. after World War II and then Afghanistan's constitution being made after World War II, both constitutions advocate for religious freedom, both. Yeah. 
And and uh, uh, so Article One says about Islamic State. Article Two says that they're going to respect and, and protect religions. Article Seven talks about the uh, protections of uh, the adherence to the UDHR, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah. Japan has a very similar similar constitution, but both are collective cultures. Both have a a strong tie to an honor code uh, that is you know thousands of years old. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and so this, I'm more on the, on the macro level, looking at this from, uh, a, a, this is a, a growth industry, this idea of contextualization and religious freedom oh. and, and breaking that barrier where the West thinks that they split the atom with inventing religious freedom, which is just, it's not true. true. Um, so, um, so that's, we have, that's we have a unique and uniquely successful expression of religious freedom, I would argue, but not the only one. Is that fair? Well, the Romans were successful religious freedom. You know, they didn't care. You could practice whatever you want as long as you're part of the empire. So, you know, Amarami's code, the Persians <laughs> long, were all about it. No, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I, as long I'm as you bowed to the emperor. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. Islam started in Arabia where there was no Islam. So it had to be right. a wrong, it had to be an adherence to religious freedom. We talked about this in our last podcast. So the, although in, in recent years there's been a struggle with the religious freedom and how it's gone down. So, so that was what was sexy. But then I said to myself, oh, look, we got public school prayer. Let, there's, there's, let's throw that because I know you guys are obsessed with that. So, so I figured as a, a, this, this speaks to both of our, our, uh, our obsessions Okay, and poor. And Porcino is like, well, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> so, so, so with that, with that adventurous prelude, uh, let's introduce our special guest today. Shino Yokotsuka is a PhD student in uh, global governance, human security, and conflict resolution at the University of Massachusetts in Boston. In the sporting world, we affectionately or not so affectionately recall, re- refer to it as UMass when uh, my Mountaineers were playing, my West Virginia Mountaineers were playing them in basketball. But uh, we're not talking about basketball today. So, Shino, welcome to the Crossing Phase podcast. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, John and Matt, uh, for having me today. Um, my name is Shino, and I'm originally from Tokyo, Japan. Uh-huh. And I recently published an article embracing religious, religious freedom, um, a battle over public school prayer issues in the Uni- United States and Japan, comparing um, two countries focusing on public school prayer issue. And again, John already um, mentioned, but I was very interested in cultural differences uh-huh. and how different culture actually impact the way of interpreting religious freedom right. and it actually reflected and um, it also create a different types of religious freedom issues and these contexts are all um, often overlooked in um, western context and i i was i was trying to um, shed a light on this context more contextualized analysis of religious freedom issues. Well, thank you for joining us today, um, and thank you for doing it so speedily on a relatively short uh, timeline to have you on uh, to record this. Uh, so you're from Tokyo. You're now in Massachusetts. What happened in between? How, how long have you been in the States? And uh, then I'm also curious what uh, led you into doing research on religion? I'm in the United States since 2011. Um, to study um, refugee issues 
at the beginning, but I switched uh-huh. my interest to study more about religious freedom, uh-huh. maybe because of my personal background as a Christian minority back in my country. Mm. Uh, I met a few research um, um, a researcher there, and Brian Grimm, and I... He shared his his research about religious freedom issues across the country, and he said Japan is a, one of the most successful model of promoting religious freedom. But at the same time, I was wondering if that's true. Uh-huh. As a Christian minority, I'm not necessarily agreeing with what he said to yeah. me. Interesting. Uh, there are many issues <laughs> in my country, but uh, without understanding cultural context, you cannot really understand the picture. Yeah. Well, I think I think the first thing is is, is let's talk about the context in Japan. Yeah. You know, your your analysis of of religious freedom, it's I think on a, a just from the comment you made, what what's what, how would you characterize religious freedom from a Western perspective, looking into into uh, Japan, and then from as a as a Japanese citizen uh, looking outward, where where do you, you know, what where do you see that comparison? Let's dig. A, I think we unpack. Let's unpack that a little bit. So in Japan, uh, people are supposed to accept the universal, like, oh no, um, collectivist idea to be Japanese. And we have to accept, we we are not allowed to be different from each other. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so we have homogenous culture and assuming that everyone accepts the same race and religion and same uh-huh. kind of political ideology. So it's very difficult to be different from other people. It's really contradicts with individual-centered idea of religious freedom. Yeah. So I, I think that reflects, I think, what a lot of Westerners think about, uh, not only Japan, but other Asian, uh, other Eastern contexts and countries. The more I get to learn about Asian nations and, and countries and people groups, uh, especially thinking about China and India in particular, that we just talked about recently on an episode, uh, there actually is in some contexts, a lot more diversity uh, below the surface than appears. Is there a level of uh, more diversity in Japan than than maybe meets the eye nor- ordinarily, or is it is it more of a homogenous uh, culture in, in a more in a truer sense? Um, so yeah. We ha- we maintain the homogenous culture, but it's not really reflect the reality right now. Uh-huh. Um, in 1980s, when Japan economically developed, we needed to some labor force, and we accepted so many labor immigrants from Muslim majority countries, including Pakistan and Bangladesh. Uh-huh. And today, our birth rate is significantly declining, and we uh-huh. needed another labor force to engage in elderly care. So we made an economic agreement with Indonesian Indonesian government and so many Indonesian people is coming to Japan. So it is becoming more diverse uh, compared to the past, but we still have a maintain very homogenous identity. For instance, in 1986, Prime Minister Nagasone made a speech at the parliament saying that Japan is a homogenous country and no minority groups exist and therefore no racial or minority discrimination. And But in reality, it does not really reflect um, yeah. that we have a lot of diversity within. Yeah, 
Interesting. Do you see those kind of assertions in Japan paralleling the rise of other nationalist uh, identity movements across the globe? Yes, yes, that's the point. Um, the school player is often used as a like nationalist agenda of the Japanese government today. Okay. Um, after the Cold War, many nations become more neo-nationalistic neo and implementing many nationalistic education system. I think Japan is also taking the same path. Yeah, interesting. For reference, the, the, the local re religion, is, it's Shintoism, isn't it? This is what's considered... The, the the sort of national religion of Japan or it has the the idea the identity of 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 the Japanese is that is that fair to say yeah Shinto is an um yeah local religion and quasi state religion and during the second world war our government utilized religion Shintoism as a political tool and she it's called state Shintoism but after the second world war the United States abolished this system and created a new constitution guaranteeing religious freedom for all so there's a line in Shino's paper here John that that reminds me of what you were saying <laughs> about uh -huh. Rome earlier. Uh, she has a, there's a sentence under her Japan section says, quote, in some Japanese people were allowed to enjoy religious freedom as long as they showed absolute obedience to the emperor in Shinto. So that's kind of your Rome style <laughs> during a lot of its history. That's kind of your Rome style religious freedom. Yes. Well, I mean, I would advocate that I, you know, in America, we're, you know, we're we're struggling with that same thing, you know. I can be I can be Muslim as long as uh, as we let, let you know leave you guys the Christians in charge of everything, right. you know. So it's <laughs> I, I as is there I'm I'm dealing with it right now, you right? Know? So right. Uh, no one's making you go to a uh, a church or a or a cathedral. No, no, that's not no. true. But I, I, will be, I will be, I will be at a service this this weekend where I'm going to spend two hours. I don't understand what the what an hour of devotion is, and then, and and worship, and then another hour of the service. Right. Yeah. Without an intermission where there's food, I don't know what you evangelicals are doing. So John's I, getting I mean, acquainted with evangelicals in his community. It's, it's, it's just killing me. I, I don't. I just but it is voluntary and not at the not at the uh, order. No, of the it's not. It, yeah. Correct. It's not at the order of an emperor. It's not. So it's called. Um, it's, ca no. it's cultural influences, uh, not so much the state, right? No, I, I, I'm. I'm not saying that that you know that that there weren't any flaws with the Roman Empire, but there, the idea of I'm, I'm mainly messing with you. I know. I know exactly what you do, but I think that there's the idea that there's particularly in Japan or or like I said, Afghanistan, the idea that multiple ethnic, cultural, and religious groups were collaborating, interacting with each other on a regular basis is something that's not new. Uh, particularly right. in collective cultures, it's just you have the collective cultural component that I think is 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 an issue. And then you do also always have a dominant entity, and yeah. that it can be manipulated in in various different ways. Like like uh, Shino was mentioning in in Japan in World War Two, you know how Shintoism was used to motivate people to to fight yeah. uh, uh, for the cause. So Shino, uh, you start your paper by basically. Uh, doing the rudimentary descriptions of uh, religious freedom uh, constitutional frameworks from both the U.S. and Japan. Uh, I suppose I could do it myself, but I, I'd be very interested to hear how you describe um, what, we, what you found in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, uh, particularly the difference between the two clauses. So, yeah, I think Japan's constitution, literally the copy of the First Amendment, um, 
it is more detailed, but um, for me, it's it's basically the same. But I, yeah, this constitution also have a tension between the establishment clause and the free exercise. And right. in Japan, like Shinto has some exception, exceptional status. And a lot of people say that Shinto is not a religion at all. So uh-huh. it's not applied to be the violation of establishment clause. And uh-huh. free exercise clause is really interpreted in a way to be very selfish um, to bring one's religion to a public space. It's an egoism for people to demonstrate one's own individual belief at the um, at the collectivist um, at at the public space where we need to pay respect to collect, collective harmony. <laughs> So you uh, describe yourself as a, a, a Christian minority in Japan. I'm curious, how do you see, and then whether you want to take it personally or through your research, kind of explain what school prayer looks like in Japan? What, is that, what does that issue look like uh, at, at, the, at the root level? It's actually a national anthem on Washington, okay. the emperor's sovereignty eternally. So all public school teachers and students are required to pray this song um, at school, at an important ceremony. And uh-huh. this tradition was abolished after the Second World War, but it revived in 1999. And so many public school teachers are refusing to engage in this public school player because it is associated with their um, war atrocities, um, mistakes that Japan made during the World War II. And also, it's contra- sometimes it contradicts with public school teachers' religious identity or freedom of conscience. But actually, there is no way to... Um, disengage in this activity and hundreds of public school teachers are punished based on their refusal and they had a pay cut they got fired or they're they're suspended and so i just raise a question that how we should interpret this religious freedom issues um yeah in this cultural context so the song that you're talking about, that song that's a prayer uh, in the Japanese school to context, reads like this. You have it uh, in your paper. Quote, Thousands of years of happy reign be thine. Rule on, my lord, till what are pebbles now, by age united to mighty rocks shall grow, whose venerable sides the moth doth line. So can you kind of unpack and explain what, what we heard there? Um for kind of well, first of all, Western I have no years. idea what that means. I have no idea. Right. I have no, no clue what that is. What is what is saying yeah. there? Yeah, what is that all about? Um, so it's just praying um that the emperor is going to reign our our land and our country forever until like the it's just worshiping the emperor system and saying that we we pray for the emperor, the Lord, and yeah. um we would ha- uh, we hope that emperor would have you last forever yeah so shino uh, give us a little more context in this post world war 2 japan what is the role and influence of the emperor currently because we're looking at this as a as a constitutional mm-hmm. republic uh, and right. so the the concept uh, i even had to be schooled up on the fact that there is still an emperor uh, what does that look like in the uh, in the japan context 
I think Japanese people see the emperor as a as a st- still spiritual leader. Um, he's still in charge of carrying all Shinto religious rituals mm-hmm. um, as a top of the hierarchy of the Shinto. Um, yeah, a lot of people said he doesn't have any political power, but he still have a lot of influence on. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know Japanese people's culture or spirit. I would say. <laughs> Yeah. During the Meiji era, during the Second World War, um, Meiji constitution stipulated that um, Japan shall be governed by the, a line of emperors unbroken for ages eternal, and that emperor is sacred and inviolable. The emperor has a supreme command of the army and navy. So, yeah, um, it was all amended, and he just become a symbol, and he's not okay. still have any political power, but still have a lot of spiritual power, I would say. Yeah, yeah, spiritual and cultural power. That, that's mm-hmm. interesting. You talked about uh, teachers are uh, opposing... Um, the singing of the song. Uh, do you find is that are those predominantly religious minorities that are objecting to that, or are there uh, you know practicing Shinto Japanese folks who are uh, uh, having a problem with that being issued in the public schools? There are Christian minorities who are opposing to the practice um but at the same time there are so many school teachers who is who are shinto but at the same time um they are opposing um the rise of nationalism and they don't they have they don't want to make the same mistake again um because during the second world war this song and state shintoism was utilized to engage in the war atrocities and they really do not want to make the same mistake again. They feel like it, it's not appropriate to force people to engage in the school player. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, Shino, we've, we've discussed a little bit about what the school prayer situation looks like in Japan. Uh, what, as a as a Japanese person here in the States, how uh, what have you seen in the U.S. Uh, related to that? How, how do you see it playing out in the U.S.? And I could probably lend some color commentary since I, I work for the Baptist on some of this kind of, these kinds of issues. Uh, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear... Uh, uh, for kind of my tribe, my American uh, predominantly evangelical tribe, to kind of hear uh, it described from your vantage point. So maybe there might be many opinions about the court ruling, but in my research, uh-huh. I examined how court, the Supreme Court ruled the case Engel versus Vittel in 1962. Uh, uh-huh. So when the Supreme Court ruled that even voluntary school player is a violation of the First Amendment. And this ruling was widely hated by everyone. But um, right. but at the same time, I found it's very interesting to see like uh, how courts described, framed their conclusion saying that it's not the government business interfering individual, like individual religious um, belief. Um, the government should not impose any kind of belief over people and it's a little bit different from like um, what's going on in Japan because in Japan no one is really questioning like and no one is really saying that school player itself should be uh, banned they just wanted to have a freedom not to engage at the individual level so it's really different and very interesting for me (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, and in particular, you took a look at um, the some debate in the U.S. over the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, tell us what you tell us what you found on that on that topic. Pledge of Allegiance is also the, very controversial today. Um, I think in 1950s, during the Cold War era, the U.S. Congress added the two words under God. So I think it's a little bit political too, and I'm not sure if the pressure of allegiance is inclusive enough to uh-huh. include people who do not believe in God and who are atheists. Um, uh-huh. It's a little bit controversial as well, and I don't see any court cases yet. But yeah, I think it it has a little bit of similarity with Japan's case today. For context, the, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, was something that was long practiced in the morning in, in American public schools and then during the communist era, kind of the anti-communist movement of, of the middle 20th century, uh, I think in 52, like you said, uh, the, the U.S. government added, un, quote, under God into the U.S. Convert, Constitution, in part because the American culture was viewing, uh, rightly in my view, communism as an atheistic, uh, n- uh, not atheism, but an atheistic uh, kind of um, uh, ideology. And uh, so I think, uh, now obviously this predates me, but the uh, the sense was that American culture wanted to reflect um, kind of their uh, kind of double down wherever they could on anti-communist uh, opportunities. And uh, so you now get, you, know, you have now have under God under there, which, as, as you say, is controversial for uh, people who uh, don't believe in God and uh, don't think uh, children ought to be subjected to that in the public school context. So that's kind of where that's coming from. Um, I, as a Baptist, uh, have uh, very skeptical um, understandings of, of school prayer uh, writ large, um, not so much the 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 constitution i think uh if uh if a child or parent wants to opt out as long as they're given that freedom i think that's sufficient the situation with school prayer is there are a lot of christians who want to reinstitute some kind of i guess formalized maybe formalized but voluntary school prayer um clearly in the christian sense of it i think from a Baptist understanding of religious freedom, uh, we're skeptical about that. Uh, my former boss, Richard Land, used to talk about how he didn't uh, really understand at the time, but growing up in Houston, uh, his classroom was maybe 30% Jewish, and yet uh, the the public school had a Protestant prayer every morning at school, and uh, he came to view that later in life as a violation of those students' uh, religious freedoms. Yeah, I mean, it always became like, which God you know, under, under who's got, you know, with right. the, with the, that's the, that's the problem. It's so it's it. And when, it, when it gets implemented in our country, when people say that, you know, you know, under God, it, it's, it, the, the, the challenge is that we under, as faith groups, we don't agree on what that wording means. Right. And so right. there's the implication that it's, you know, it's, it's fealty to some one person's particular type of God. So, you know, if you're, you know, if you're talking to you know uh, some of the the Christian evangelicals, I I, I know we we always talk about Pastor Jeffers, right? And uh, he is very passionate about who is going to hell and who's not going to hell, and whose God is the right God and whose God is the wrong God. And uh, and so there's a very specific the prayer in school is going to be a Christian prayer that is 
of a, of a particular sect of Christianity, but not doesn't apply to everyone else. So, and then the opt-in factor is an opt-in for a very specific sect of Christianity, or or a very or or one one particular tribe, and that's right. that's part of the, the the controversy in in the United States. It's like where does that reside? Uh, right. That pledge reside into to what God? Um, I mean, I think that uh, it's different and diff it's different in within when there's a collective culture and national religions. Uh, like for example, I, I we were talking about Afghanistan a little bit earlier. I mean, the idea that there is, it's an Islamic state, but has, that advocates for religious freedom and the protection of religious minorities, it acknowledges the national religion and then turns around and says, okay, here are these other faith groups that need to be respected so they can opt out at any time, um, which yeah. is very, very different than our American tradition. Um, and I think that Japan is probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, <laughs> just so, um, would you agree, Shin, though? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think in Japan is a very interesting position and somehow half westernized, but still maintain our own cultural um, tradition. The uh, the interesting thing about the under God clause is uh, John's right that there's objection to exactly, you know, which God is it? Uh, and on the one hand, uh, there's little doubt that the people who put that in there were intending to mean the Judeo-Christian God. Of of the Bible, the uh, the other hand is it's sufficiently vague in this. In this are, Judeo, are you saying Judeo Christian or are you saying Abrahamic God? Both. Okay, all right. so, just, you know, because we just slayed that dragon with Nicholson. Well, you know that's, I mean? fine. Like, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Well, hey, you know? hey, we, you know, we, I, we, we look uh, look if uh, if it's if you if you want to call it the Abrahamic God, then uh, American Muslims shouldn't have any problem with uh, the under God clause, right? We don't, but you know, when you start this Judeo-Christian, and then all of a sudden Judeo-Christian means Judeo-Evangelicals? Evangelicals. Even if yeah. I buy your Abrahamic uh, line, I can pretty much promise you that the 1950s Americans uh, were not thinking in that line. Don't underestimate the man in the street. Maybe the 1950s Americans were all about Islam. How do you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, my point. That was a great response. <laughs> we, can, we can go toe to toe on this. Uh, we, we, we won't ask Shino to, to, uh, weigh, to weigh in on that controversy. Um, I will point out, though, that we have uh, in, in America the unique, a unique situation where it's not so much constitutional, but uh, in the Declaration of Independence, we have uh, identified, quote, their creator. Uh, in, in a pretty prominent and significant government text that uh, that explains the why between the what of the Constitution, right? So uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Certainly using the term creator is a is obviously a more broad description of, of a deity. Um, but I think that, that has to come into play also when we're talking about this conversation. So, you know, on the on the on the on the micro or macro level, when we're talking about collective cultures, you know, as collective cultures, Islamic context, just and then the, the Japan as a collective culture, where do you where do you see the difference where it deviates from a collective culture to being a religious practice? So, like, you know, the idea that you know you're 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 contributing to the whole is something that is societal and cultural within Japan, but not necessarily religious. But then you get Shintoism emperor component, which is religious. Is there, where, where's, like, what's the, how would you differentiate the two? Or is there, or, or, or am I mischaracterizing Japan? 
I think you're right. I think culture and religion is closely intertwined. It's very hard to separate it. Um, but at the same time, there is a tradition like respect and loyalty to the authority. Um, yeah, I think Shinto is also has elements of teaching people about the importance of the loyalty. Um, and also, I don't know, Shinto has also elements of um, placing importance on harmonization of the society. So it, it's, a, it's a really beautiful spiritual belief, but at the same time, for people who are deviant from um, the Japanese standard or cultural value, it would be very, very difficult for them to be who they are. So that's, that is today's issue Japanese to face. Because, uh, you know, you could, you know, in, in, in Afghanistan, you could have, you have a tribal culture and you have a tribal loyalty. You will have something like we have like this thing called the Zat, the honor. Um, and the Pashtunwani is, is a code, an honor code that we that, that follow. And I think that you could certainly follow the honor code and then your religion, Islam, is separate, but it becomes commingled. Uh, after, as time progresses. So um, I, I think that there, it's difficult, like you said, to, to separate the two, but you can, you can have an honor code that contributes to the collective that, it, that, that operates independently or semi-independently of the religious belief. Would you, would you agree or disagree? I agree. Um, okay. I think both, I think, yeah, this called elements of both positive and negative sides. Um, yeah, so it, there's a very interesting school tradition or school uh, habits for all Japanese public school students have. So we are told to clean up all classroom and bathrooms after the after the end of end of the day, school day. Right. So we learn collaborative skill how to keep our place clean and thinking about other people's happiness and other for, for other people to be able to live comfortably. Um, but at the same time, Japan sometimes is too disciplined and we we have so many unreasonable rules to require everyone to follow. For instance, um, Japanese public school students are required to have a dark black hair and one of the female students are required to dye her hair, which is naturally brown, to black. And um, I think she filed a lawsuit um, against the Japanese government and education board recently. And it's good to be disciplined and organized and create social harmony, um, paying attention to others. But at the same time, there is no space for people to object to authority and to be who they are sometimes. Hmm. So speaking about uh, being who you are, uh, you talked about being a Christian minority in, in Japan. Uh, so I have kind of a preface and then a, then a question for you. The question is, uh, can you tell us something about your experience as a Christian in Japan that would help Americans better understand that context and how Japanese Christians navigate their own culture. My preface to the question is uh, what American Christians don't often think about uh, unless, unless we <laughs> kind of we are forced to Christianity was born into a collective culture uh, or certainly more collective than the current uh, Western 
uh, world is. And so I, I want to kind of underscore that as a, as a preface, nevertheless, uh, wondering how um, the life of Christians, uh, Japanese Christians look uh, in Japan. Sure. Yeah, Japanese Christians actually doing pretty well, accepting also Shinto practice as well. Mm. I'm a Christian, but at the same time, I unconsciously engage in practice of Shinto in my everyday life. So, um, so I don't know. But for me, I saw some Muslim students in my public school, and I found so many... Um, I became very empathetic to them because in Japanese school system, everyone is supposed to wear the same school uniform. And through school lunch system, everyone has to eat um, what they are served. And uh-huh. there is no consideration for religious differences. And I mean, people do not understand why they cannot eat specific food or people cannot follow the order to wear a school uniform, I think it would be very difficult for especially Muslim immigrants uh, coming Mm. to Japan today um, because it excludes people and people do not understand. Really? So there's there's no even uh, what we would call in the States uh, accommodation for clothing and, and food in the public school system? No, not at all. Even for Japanese people, again, like I, I talked about the female student example who are forced to dye her naturally brown hair to black. So it's yeah. very absurd, but and sometimes very unreasonable. Right. And yeah, I think we have never had, even we really never had faced this kind of issues how to accommodate diversity. So. Uh-huh. It will be become significant bigger issue that Japan needs to face, and Japanese people need to seriously think about how to deal with it. You mentioned Shinto being a regular part of your practice uh, of, of your regular life, uh, even while being a Christian. Can you tell us a little bit just what that looks like, if you feel comfortable? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, I think I'm raised in multi-phase family. So I, I go to shrine, Shinto shrine every year on January 1st to, mm-hmm. it's like a cultural praying the next year, the new year going to be a happy year for our family. So I, I did it. I have been doing it for a long time. And I think many Christian in Japan has a double standard practicing both tradition and yeah but for i'm sure that for some people they really cannot engage in shinto practice uh-huh. and yeah when we had a school trip to kyoto uh, when i was uh, school children at elementary school um there was a few students who have di- different religious background and, and they were not able to enter the shrine which is a very uh-huh. historic monument yeah. and and a lot of people did not really understand why they, they yeah. were not able to come with us to learn about history and culture. And I think I'm sure that they feel very excluded. Yeah. So do you, is that, uh, is the entering of that shrine, is that perceived or is that uh, seen as an act of kind of a religious act in and of itself, just going, going into the shrine? Uh, I think for some people, yeah, but um for many Christians, I think no problem. And for me, like like thousand years of history of a shrine in Kyoto is very interesting place to visit. But for some people, 
it's almost just like engaging and or embracing Shinto or Buddhist belief by entering it. Um, but yeah, I think school professors feel like they're very individualistic. They are not cooperative. I don't know. Um, uh, I felt really um, awkward and bad that yeah. we really did not have understanding and respect for their um, religion. Uh-huh. What I hear you saying, tell me if I'm wrong, is that uh, Japanese Christians are, uh, depending upon the Christian, are mm-hmm. more comfortable with some kind of, uh, maybe just using this term descriptively, some kind of syncretism between Christianity and, and Shintoism versus people who are uh, trying to separate uh, entirely from the Shinto culture versus maybe some people who are just kind of in the middle trying to navigate, trying to navigate the culture. Yeah, that's right. And during the Second World War, I think Japanese Christianity make a compromise to survive themselves. They mm. said it's okay to go to shrine and pray. I think it's a political decision, but in order to survive, they needed to do that. I, I will t- I touch a little bit about it um, in my paper as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think since then, I think Christianity make a compromise, uh, yeah. coexisting with Shinto, embracing the elements of it a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's probably a conversation for another time. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, if that if that's true, whatever they, those decisions that were made uh, before and after World War II, it sounds like those uh, decisions of Christians then in Japan are still have ramifications for Christians now. Uh, 50 to 60 years or more in the future. Uh, Shino, it's been a delight to learn from you and have you on our podcast today. Uh, I'm going to say thank you and goodbye for both of us. John had to jump off uh, to get to another meeting, Uh, but we're so grateful for your time and attention today, and uh, thank you for your research. Uh, We'll post in the show notes to this episode at crossingphase.com, linked to your article. And uh, for for those who have the academic uh, paywall access (laughs) for for this journal, um, we'll we'll post it there, um, and maybe with a little blurb uh, so folks uh, can read up on that if they're interested. Shino, again, thank you for your time and uh, Godspeed with your research. Thank you so much, Sean and uh, Matt. Thank you for having me. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Penna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at MTHawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at crossingfaiths.com.